1: Hey there folks, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast, and if this is your first time listening, I would like to apologize in advance. This is not my normal voice. I have some kind of sore throat, strep throat, something of that matter, and it really hurts to talk. So this is going to be a very, very short intro. Luckily, I recorded this episode yesterday, kind of before this whole thing started, so I still had a voice for the interview, but... Um, Real quick, I do want to throw out there, uh, just because I know so many many people have been asking and praying, Uh, I did recover the truck that last week's episode was about, my dad's truck. They did find it. Uh, I flew to Denver on Sunday, was able to recover the truck on Monday, along with a little bit of my gear. Um, I was able to get back my video camera, my spotting scope, my Stone Glacier pack, um, and a few other little odd nicks and knacks, like my uh, my shooting sticks and a few things like that. So uh, the thieves still got away with a whole bunch of stuff, um, but obviously not quite as bad as it could have been. So just wanted to update you guys on that real quick. Um, this week uh, I'm t- talking to Nick Otto. Nick is a, a another Sportsman's Empire Nation contributor. Uh, Nick is a well, we get into it. You'll you'll hear a lot about Nick. He's a well, excuse me, an adult an adult onset hunter, so he started hunting later in life, and uh, I think for a lot of us, especially kind of in the South, where hunting's uh, just such a deep tradition part of life, a lot of people kind of start out hunting and then try to figure out the food part afterwards. Nick's the opposite of that. Nick was kind of a foodie. He was really into uh, just, you know, knowing where his food came, came from, the health side of it, and because of that, he got into hunting, so... Um, Really, really great conversation. Nick is extremely knowledgeable. We go into a little bit of everything. Um, We just talk about, you know, game meat. We talk about, uh, you know, how to cook it, how to handle it a little bit. Um, I I, I feel like I did a terrible job of hosting because I just, I was so, um, I don't want to say ill-prepared, just like I just don't know that much about this stuff. Uh, So that's why I wanted to have Nick on in the first place. Nick knocked it out of the park. Um, I will say we had one or two, uh, a couple audio glitches. So between that and my voice, I apologize because this is just not going to be the most audibly pleasing uh, episode you've ever listened to. So we do get the mic situation figured out around the nine minute mark. So it does improve as it goes on if that helps. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Um, I do really appreciate it. One of these days, uh, you know, the whole truck things behind me. Hopefully I can get this sickness behind me and we're going to get back to like a normal everyday programming type stuff. So thank you guys for bearing with me the last few weeks as I've been traveling and dealing with the truck and and sickness and everything like that. So um, I do want to shout out my uh, my partners real quick. Arrowhead Land Company. Look them up if you're wanting to buy or sell land in Oklahoma private water fishing a subscription based fishing program uh you can get a nice nice uh private lake all to yourself and of course deer lab uh organize your trail camera photos learn about your bucks um, use code oklahoma outdoors for 20% off uh, i apologize to my partners for not giving you f- your full whole long uh time slot there but that's the about the best i can do this week so so again thank you guys for tuning in i really appreciate it Um, Go look Nick up after this because he has tons of other great content. And, um, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Here it is right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's show. And today we have one of my Sportsman's Empire brothers. We got Mr. Nick Otto. How you doing, Nick?
0: Oh, doing great, doing great. I would say cheers, but um, I've already finished my cocktail (laughs) for the evening.
1: Uh My wife
0: has really gotten into being a mixologist. And so Uh she's doing this 12 days of cocktails as we go through the month of December. Um, It's not a 12 days straight. Uh, I think I would develop a problem uh, (laughs) at that point. But she brought me one. I haven't even got the details on it. But yeah, I was cutting up deer. And here comes my boy with a cocktail in his hand. And he's like, Mom said this is a fireside and you need to drink it. And it had rosemary as a garnish, like a fresh piece of rosemary, uh, really heavy on the grapefruit end of things. Um, (laughs) The past couple ones she's done has been a gin. This must have been like this must have been a uh, a vodka one because it didn't hit me with all that juniper. But anyway, (laughs) man, it was a good evening. I can tell you that.
1: But Between how you just described your wife and what I know about you as far as the culinary side, like I just imagine every single dinner y'all have is just this crazy masterpiece
0: we we do put on a good facade like don't (laughs) look behind the curtain there are nights where it is shoot we are running from basketball to wrestling and we're running from one thing to the next and easy mac is in our pantry (laughs) and chicken nuggets is not unfamiliar in our freezer like we are just like every one of you guys here but when we get the opportunity to say hey listen we, we need to eat better than, than out of the freezer. As far as like the ready-made meals, we need to make our own stuff. So Mm -hmm. yeah, we try to, when we get the opportunity,
1: take it and fully grasp it. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Well, Nick, before we go too far here, uh, just in case somebody's listening to the show and they don't know who you are or not familiar with the show, uh, why don't you just give us a quick little rundown of who you are real quick.
0: Yeah. My name's Nick Otto. Um, I'm a late onset hunter. I picked it up right after college Uh, Finally got some free time and really started looking at what I was putting on the table uh, for not only myself, but now at that point, my new wife. And how am I going to sustain this family? How am I going to uh, power this family with the food that I bring to the table? Um, Started out on a charboiled grill, got really excited about grilling outside. And from there, it just ventured out into, man, can I be a locavore? Can I find all of my food? within 100 miles of myself and get to know ranchers, get to know processors, get to know the slaughtermen and just get a chance to be really entwined into that food community. And then my buddies took me hunting and the ability to do it all myself was incredible. Uh, That first year, I wasn't very successful, but then uh, the second year that I, I went out there with a bow, I was able to put down a little four-point buck. In fact, he's uh, he's over my shoulder right now. And that little four-point buck kind of started it all because when I watched him drop, he gave three kicks. It, I was hooked right away because the meat that I got off of him, yeah, it, a lot of it went to burger. I was learning <laughs> just like everybody else. Uh, but he sparked that interest. It sparked something in me where it said, hey, why don't I take this from locavore to absolutely pursuing it myself and shortening that food chain from the animal to myself at that point. And so that's where Huntivore was born. Um, I had gone from wild chef episode to wild chef episode from podcast to podcast, and I thought, you know what? uh if i keep searching for this i can't find what i'm looking for i'm gonna be that so that's where huntivore really took off as being an outlet for utilizing and consuming our wild game as a chance to celebrate our hunting and fishing through those two pursuits
1: man that's awesome just listen to that like my my journey is almost the opposite so Uh, I didn't really grow up in a hunting family, but I was always obsessed with it. Uh, My dad did some bird hunting. That's kind of how I got introduced to it. And for me, like I killed my first deer. And then I was like, oh, now what? Like I like it was, you know, you know, I was I was like 15 at the time. And that was uh, the the whole meat thing was like an afterthought. Um, But it's just kind of in the last few years, you know, meat eater had a lot to do with it. I think they've inspired a lot of people. Um, And so, yeah, so I'm very excited to have you on because the last few years I've really learned that, you can do it right. And you can make this stuff very, very edible. And so, uh, uh, yeah, a few weeks ago, we, we were both on the deer camp, uh, podcast. And you were talking about like some mayonnaise on steak on deer steak. And I, Oh, I was cringing. I'm, I'm not a condiments guy. I, I'll, I'll throw this out there. I'm, I'm extremely, uh, an extremely picky eater. And so, uh, but so yeah, but I'm excited. Uh, and I think a lot of people are too. And so, so yeah man I uh, I'm, I'm going to try not to talk too awful much like I want you to to inform people and do your thing so uh so yeah so <clears throat> you mentioned you don't want to spend too much time with this and I completely understand but uh just kind of a, a brief little basic thing you know what are what are some of the basics people should know when they go to handle wild game versus like you know the beef that they go get from the store Um so yeah
0: I want to skip past a little bit of the field care just because um You know, when when you take something in, that's what you put on your table. This is is your meat. You're not going to turn this deer in and then get better back. You're going to get back what you take to the processor. You're going to take in like what you've been hanging uh, up and going to be able to process yourself on whichever avenue you take there. So if you do a poor job in the field care or you're not quick enough to get it to the processor because you want to drive around to a few of your, you know, the the watering holes and, you know, stop to get gas and just drop the tailgate to show it off to everybody. You know, that's that's time you're spending getting the glory there. And it's going to then come out in a sour, gamey taste as people will proclaim it. And that is a, that is a soapbox of mine that we are, we are eating a wild animal it is not beef it is not lamb it is it cannot be compared to any other piece of domestic animal that's out there like this is its own creature essentially this thing has lived without needing us granted i mean yes okay it uh it survives in our ag fields we do set up uh food plots we do provide mineral yeah we're we're trying to grow bigger and better deer. And we're trying to keep the herd healthy, but at the same time, that deer doesn't exactly need you. It can survive on forage. It can outrun coyotes. It can avoid predators. And in fact, it, it's so successful that numbers keep climbing and climbing and climbing. And then that's where we come in. We have to hunt these animals. We have to bring the numbers down so they don't eat themselves out of house and home. So when you are presented with this gift, you've put it down. I I take true reverence when I walk up either on a on a kill that I've gotten, whether it's with a bow, whether it's with a gun, whether it's huge or small, like huge reverence for this animal because now I'm blessed with not, I mean, I had to buy a tag, but at the same time, like essentially I've been gifted this a bounty and I didn't have to do anything for it other than go shoot it. And so I feel like that sort of reverence towards what you've killed and what you've been able to to harvest. I say, I mean, I'm not gonna shy around the word killed. That's exactly what we're doing. But then there's that second part, there's that second stage to where now it becomes the harvest. I was working on the neck section tonight. How many necks get thrown out of white-tailed deer? How many ribs get just discarded, A, because of uh, just not knowing how to clean them out effectively, Or at the same time, just, "Ah, I'm too tired and I don't want to deal with it. Like we got to, we want to be able to, as long as we're doing this process, as long as we're going to be hunters, we need to take full advantage of what we're doing. So yeah, there's my my (laughs) soapbox as far as we want to be able to glean everything that we can from these amazing creatures, because I want to continue to pursue them. I want to continue to hunt them. And at the same time, like I put one down, I want to get as much meat as I can off of that if that means cleaning between each of the ribs I got three young boys and one's uh one's in third grade one's in kindergarten and one's in preschool and I'm already starting to see the appetite that is coming down <laughs> the pipeline we put three de- I put three deer away this year and I imagine we're going to go through those three deer pretty quick and it's <laughs> just going to go faster and faster each year
1: mm-hmm Ah, that's awesome. Looking forward to, I got a, got a little five month at whole, home. So, uh, looking forward to those days, but, uh, yeah, man, that's, that's awesome. I was just, um, I was just this last weekend, followed the rabbit trail. It was, I was with my brother-in-law's father-in-law. Uh, he had bought a piece of property down here and, uh, you know, none of them had ever hunted and stuff. And so they asked if I would come out and kind of show them the ropes. It was the last weekend of our rifle season. And so went out and, uh, helped them harvest two deer. You know, the first one I, I took my time kind of surgically, you know, gutted it and everything, um, let them see it all. And uh, one of them, you know, had to take a knee there for a little bit, which I understand, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, and then, you know, we hung it up, skinned it all and stuff. I was trying to show them all the, and it, again, you know, I'm no pro, uh, but it was trying to kind of show them all the, the muscle groups and kind of compare it to beef, you know, like this would be your, uh, you know, your ribeye and all that stuff. Um, and then yeah, for lunch, I, uh, I cut up a little bit of the back strap and throwed it on the, the fryer. And and I could tell like uh, I could see the hesitation like like, I you know, I think all of them had tried venison before. It, it wasn't necessarily like the, the venison. It was just like they just watched this thing, you know, perish and they watched it get cut up. And so, uh, yeah, it was very interesting. But, uh, man, I mean, like like just like yourself, there's tons of people getting into it. Um, there's lots of people getting into it for the right reasons. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited, but, uh, man, like, where do you want to go from here? Like where, how do you want to educate people? I feel like I'm doing a terrible job as a host, but I I just really want to get the most out of this.
0: Gotcha. Let me put my, yeah, I'll take off my, my hunting hat and I'll throw on my educator hat. Um, when, when I approach When I, when I approach using the animal, um, one thing that, that I've, I've learned actually through processors and then just as much information I've been able to glean either from a book or from, uh, YouTube is that, uh, muscles are used for different reasons. And some of them are powerhouse muscles. Some of them are stabilizing muscles and some of them are going to, uh, basically control some of the inside functions of the animal so each has its own kind of particular use. and i say this out and and as people are hearing this they're like well duh that's (laughs) that's how like the legs are not they're going to do the same thing as necessarily as the back strap but then at the same time like well then let's take that when we when we start to use our venison, when we start to use the pieces of the venison, let's use it according to how it has been used in the field. There's a term that uh, that butchers will use and of like tenderness and flavor that both of those go down the further you get away from the horn and the hoof. So again, they're talking about a beef at this point where your most flavorful pieces, because of the amount of work that's going on, because of the amount of nutrient that has to go to those specific muscles, is going to be housed in these areas. So you're going to find a shank has far more venison flavor than your backstrap. And probably your most mild piece of meat and tenderest is going to be those inside tenderloins. Those are stabilizers. They kind of keep the animal in a straight line. Same thing with the back straps. That's where you're going to find your milder flavors, and that's where you're going to find uh, your most tender cuts. But then beyond that, you work out away from that, and then you get into the hind legs, larger muscle groups. More work being done in those. You're going to have more sinew and more connective tissue, and so you're going to have to deal with a little more toothiness when you're using those muscles. Same thing with the shoulders. Now, shoulders, they... They offer more of a directional aspect, a lot of smaller muscles interconnected because they take much when they do the backs. So now you have a little bit more addition, additional sinews. You have a little bit more additional silver skin. But at the same time, because the work, you get more enough venison flavor. You can't disguise that necessarily as much as you can with uh, with some of the more milder cuts. And then we get down to the shanks. And the shanks, because they're like, I mean, pretty much the hoof is the only thing separating them from the ground. They're going to offer the most toughness. They're going to offer the most flavor. And actually, that's where my favorite cut comes from is where I get to actually taste the animal. And that's so it's amazing what a slow braise. And knowing that those sinews, that collagen, that uh, connective tissue is going to dissolve and that meat is going to render itself so velvety smooth because I give it a braise for you know eight hours or I put it into uh, a crock pot while I'm at work. Or in the case of folks that do have an Instapot, cutting those in half, throwing those in the Instapot and give that a good you know 70, 60 to 70 minutes in a high-pressure situation. You pull those out. And you turned what normally you could bounce off the ground into something that would just melt in your mouth. And it's all that I can't treat it the same way that I would a backstrap. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a very drastic situation that I'm going with. But what that does for us is it gets us to identify muscle groups or particular muscles and use them according to their design rather than try to fit them into the box of of the dish that we want to create. Um, So when I go to the freezer and I want to make something, I'm looking not to the cookbook first to then try to slot in a piece. I'm going to look to the freezer and I'm going to pull that out. And if it's a shoulder blade, well, we're going to have dinner with this tomorrow because it's going to take (laughs) me a while to thaw this out, then be able to cook that down. But if I pull it out and it's, uh, you know, a neck roast, or excuse me, not a neck roast, uh, a neck filet, uh, that's one of those little cuts that I have found. It's essentially the extension of the backstrap up into the neck portion of the deer. And if you follow that up and you're able to peel that out and hold that back, it's just essentially the backstrap with just a little bit of toothiness to it. And if you don't mind having just a little bit firmer meat, I tell you what, that is a gold nugget that I think people leave, uh, either goes into grind or goes into, uh, some sort of a crock pot, which is totally fine, but just to glean that piece out and then use it towards its function as opposed to like, well, grind it all and then we can make burgers. Mm-hmm. I mean, burgers are universal. Grind is amazing. Uh, but at the same time, like pulling out these little pieces here and there, using them how they're supposed to be used, I think that's going to let us take full advantage of whatever critter we're taking.
1: Mm-hmm. Man, that's so interesting because uh, I'm just sitting back here and, you know, thinking of every deer I've ever, you know, uh, cut up. And, uh, yeah. So I remember I watched, I think it was outdoor edge has like a video, like a how to butcher video that I watched years and years ago. And, uh, you know, he was talking about like on the front shoulder, you know, I, and I've, I've heard this from processors, you know, processors are going to basically grind the entire front shoulder. Um, and, uh, but, you know, he's talking about all these little muscle groups and stuff. And if you really take the time and, kind of like you said like almost peel them away like you know kind of follow those different little cuts and muscles and everything uh you can get some pretty incredible chunks of meat but i also think like again just kind of going back through my memory of all these other times uh you know keeping those basically like knowing what you have you know because i remember uh i i butchered an entire deer by myself one time i mean really took my time and cut out all those different muscles but then I just kind of all you know, I threw it all into different Ziploc bags and, and freeze-dried it or whatever. And so yeah, I just take out this random thing, like, well, what do I want tonight? You know, do I want to cook this on the trailer? Do I want to throw it on the stove? Um, so yeah, like uh, uh, labeling and organizing I could see really plays a big part in this.
0: Yes, yes. Um also be very conscious of what you're labeling. Give yourself some notes on there too is, you know, you're talking about a shoulder. Um I'm writing on there like even like which specific part of the shoulder? Is it the blade? Is it the is it the humerus bone or the the mid mid roast as I end up calling that. Um and if you happen to like ah, shoot, how do I have how do I need to cook that again? Uh throw throw a couple notes on there. I mean you're you're going to be there at the vac machine or you're going <laughs> to be there rolling the butcher paper for, for a while. Mm-hmm. Um also the other thing too is keeping an eye on what the labeling is. If you forget which guy uh is labeling and you leave him alone for too long, he can get very creative with the labeling that happens. <laughs> uh we just got done with a large group butchering party, and there was a lot of things that were labeled, yeah, very, very creatively. I think cat number three was uh used a couple <laughs> of times. Um, and there were also some very colorful things that got thrown out there that i cannot repeat on buddy's <laughs> podcast but to have them go home and be like this this is not what is labeled here yeah. what <laughs> what mm-hmm. is this so mm-hmm. that's always one way to get back at a buddy if you're helping him uh put stuff on there like oh yeah just uh yeah throw him an oddball question on or <laughs> an oddball uh reference on there yeah
1: yeah uh, another thing that you, you mentioned on the, the deer camp one that it's, it's something I discovered a few years ago and I've been definitely using my advantage, but, uh, you were talking about leaving things in larger chunks, um, uh, you know, not like just sitting there and cutting all your stakes, you know, right off the bat, uh, talk about that a little bit and kind of how you use those chunks.
0: That's a, that's a great lead into, um, cause yeah, we just got done talking about like, okay, the, the deer, or even shooting in your neck of the woods, the wild hog Mm -hmm. is made up of different muscle groups that do different jobs. As you go through and you're cutting these out, um, what's popular and what I find very effective for myself is called seam butchering. And that's where I'm using the actual natural seams. I'm not running things through a bandsaw. I'm not actually cutting bone most of the time. Time, most of the time, what I'm doing is peeling meat away from the bone, and then using the natural seams to break those apart, and that gives me these muscle groups. So if I take a hind leg, for example, I end up with a top row, a top round, a bottom round, an inside round, and a sirloin or a, a knuckle, basically. Uh, there's also a, a rump cap that I I use on there. I I cut that off and save that as a a steak piece for myself. Um, but essentially, those five muscle groups make up the hind leg, and I will try to keep those muscle groups whole for, just as we're saying, uh, when it comes to wanting to cook those pieces of meat, if the larger piece of meat that you get or you're using, you have more control of the amount of energy that's going into that. You have more leeway of, of not overdoing it than a steak that you pre-cut. So when guys get uh, medallions made or they get their backstrap butterflied all the way out and they end up throwing that on a super hot grill because they want to get a char on there. I mean, we're talking seconds. We're talking, you know, 15, 20 seconds that if you're not paying attention, bam, that thing has gone already to gray all the way through You're chewy. And then that's where we need the barbecue sauce to be ladled on to everything at that point. Whereas if you take that same back and keep it at six inches long, go into a slower style of cooking, I end up using, or I'll go indirect on my charcoal grill, or I can even go into the oven. Um, I don't have a pellet grill, but at the same time, the pellet grill has been awesome for that style of cooking because it can offer a slower to the and help a little bit of smoky for on as well, but doing it that way, you're going to basically widen that bullseye when you're making a piece of steak. And I say bullseye as in uh, your desired, uh, basically doneness of steak. If you want medium, and you you go straight to the grill with it on a smaller piece, it's really hard to to get that all medium all the way through. You end up with a a well done, and then it works its way to yeah well, uh medium well, you know, and finally it works its way down to what your desired doneness was supposed to be. By going with uh, a larger cut of meat, you can help widen that bullseye so you get more of that desired medium that you were looking for or medium rare, whatever you're looking for at that point, uh, because it's a bigger piece and it's going to take longer for that for stuff to happen that you can be on top of it. Personally, what I also like about keeping things big as well is it offers me versatility. Uh being up here in Michigan, um, it does get cold. So having a roast is a good thing. Uh, I can turn my oven on without having to torch my house up and feel it's you know, a window try to turn out from the kitchen. Um, we, we do a lot of braising, uh, either in a Dutch oven or a crock pot or, or anything like that. Like pot roast is a, a way of life up here. Cause February <laughs> comes and man, I talk, you talk about dark days. You need something warm. You need something <laughs> uh fulfilling just to get you through, uh, that tough time. But then, it's the, but then if I decide, Hey, I want to make jerky and I take that top round, which has very long muscle, uh, fibers which uh, has large, I mean, not only long, but large muscle fibers. I cut that with the grain. I can end up with some amazing long pieces of jerky that when I, I bring that to place, the people are like, man, you old grow jerky, but with those long pieces, I'm able to really enjoy what I get and I get a high yield from that because I'm using that large muscle group. Um so yeah, it's definitely not going to waste, but what it does is it gives me versatility. So some things I want to keep whole, some things hey, we only need to make some steaks from it. I pull out one piece of of uh, a large, you know, a large muscle group, say it be the bottom round, we're going to make Swiss steak. I can then pull that out, cut that into the individual steaks. Let's say I only need 3 or 4. I can save the other section for something later in the week. I wouldn't necessarily refreeze it at that point, but Hey, I can now diversify what I'm getting from one cut. Gotcha. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. I was definitely that, uh, throw it on the grill guy, get it super dry. And the other part of me, like, you know, there was also like a fear there of like, Oh, this is wild game. And so I felt like, you know, I had to, chard or burn it or cook it all the way through uh because like you know i was where i was like oh diseases and stuff like that so uh maybe maybe that might be a good thing for you to talk about like just for people's peace of mind like can you cook this stuff like you're saying medium and and maybe even medium rare or something like that
0: yes for venison um there are there are parasites there are ailments there are things that we need to watch for uh when we are processing our own or even to get information from the processor i mean we have a tuberculosis zone here in michigan we have a cwd zone in michigan that these are things that essentially we now have to live with whenever we end up taking an animal down this is just the ugly nature of things um that we have to to watch out for um I mean, shoot, neighbors to the south of us in Ohio are dealing with a huge outbreak of EHD. I'm sure Oklahoma gets their bouts of that as well. Uh, but even on top of that, you do you have you have tapeworms, you've got uh different ailments that that these animals do end up going through. One way that you can alleviate some of that without having to cook it necessarily on the back end, uh, all the way through is that time in the freezer is going to kill the parasites now let me let me back up to say like i mentioned diseases and those any time in the freezer is not going to kill those things you're not going to solve ehd tuberculosis or uh cwd with Time in the freezer—that is—that is a non-consumable at that point. Shoot with CWD, you could throw it in an incinerator, and you're now you just gave the incinerator CWD basically because it's <laughs> you can't kill it; it's never going to die. Um. So, but those things. But then when we get to like stuff that's in the meat, say a parasite, um, that's going to spend some time in, uh, in the freezer. A week is going to do good. Week two weeks and do um because we are eating meat from the wild there's automatically a little bit of a risk at the same time i don't know when the last time wild game was recalled much like (laughs) meat out of a processing plant Mm -hmm. has been recalled that there's a risk just consuming any sort of meat Mm -hmm. um so handling it with a lot of care keeping things keeping things clean and keeping things cold is going to be your best friend um, up until the time that you get to cook. Um, and I I do, I take that to heart as well because I as, as I try to reach out as far as I can uh on the culinary side, I'm going to do some adventuring. I'm going to do some things that offer a little bit of risk that do they, they get me really excited. Uh, I made venison tartar, literally a raw venison that I consumed with my wife and I, I wasn't feeding any of the boys. We're not going to worry about that right now. they would have turned it down anyways, but there was a whole procedure that went with that. I froze it for a week. And then when I unthawed it, I kept it as cold as humanly possible. And then there's a whole procedure that as you're mixing up your aioli, there's a salt. I mean, you're salting this as you're going along with, there's capers that are put in, so there's a sodium element that's not going to let uh, bacteria form uh, as you're basically making this and then consuming this. And at the same time, it's one of those like you make it, you eat it. You don't in the fridge and let it tough for three days and then come to it. It's no, no. It's this is an eat now and uh, don't eat later. Basically, pitch <laughs> it after after you're all done with it. And I mean that goes for for, I guess, any, any meat that you're making, you gotta, once you cook it up and once you start to consume it, you enjoy it, enjoy it now because it does have a finite life. You can't live in the fridge for forever at that point. Um, cause then you're going to deal with, with a whole bunch of other stuff at that point as well. So yeah, with venison, obviously there's going to be a little bit of risk, uh, but you can find ways like keeping it in your freezer for two weeks, you know, week, two weeks, um, before you go after that that can help alleviate some of that uh angst when it comes to parasites in your neck of the woods with wild with wild pigs. I mean, that's that's going to be a 165 thing. Mm-hmm. I if you bring everything up to 165, uh that kills most parasites and most organisms that live inside of things. Uh shoot, I mean, uh the uh trichinosis is what i'm thinking of specifically that's the stuff that hogs even in the uh domestic realm they they have just kind of done away with that in a lot of the larger plants and so they have dropped down at least i think it was the fda they dropped down the cooking uh temperature to 145 uh for pork at the same time i mean that's relatively new i would still I would still cook those to 165, even domestically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, hogs bring them up. You got to cook them all the way through. Nothing, nothing you
1: can do around it, but at the yeah. same time, they can still be delicious. Yeah. And man, uh, I was talking about it a few weeks ago. I, I want to have you guys down and I want to let you uh, have your way with one of our hogs down here. I think that'd be awesome, but. Uh, I, I love that you mentioned it again because I was like, <laughs> pinch me, man. Am, am I coming
0: down going to gonna shoot hogs? Like that's one uh-huh. of those things. Like it, shoot, like I see all the stories and everybody talks about, Oh, these, these pigs are everywhere. And I'm mm. like, dude, you eat pork. You can eat pork for all forever. <laughs> like, why are we, why are we not exterminating these things? And then yeah. having the biggest barbecue ever. Like that's, <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm looking at. Like, yeah, we're going to solve this issue with our stomachs.
1: That <laughs> that's what I'm, that's what I'm on yeah and i'm sh- like it's so funny because i'm sure it goes both ways like i hear you like all excited about it i'm like dude come take them uh <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure i'm sure you know like you know i can't tell you how many that i've killed and just drug off just because we're trying to get rid of them and i'm sure that makes you equally as frustrated uh so yeah like i said we'll we'll get it worked out so uh Perfect. Do- <laughs> okay we got a little bit of time here and i don't want to keep you too late but um uh, one, I have to let you you uh give the mayonnaise recipe <laughs> um, for all the okay, listeners. Yep. And then uh and then yeah, we might just hit one or two kind of quick, uh, you know, kind of like your favorite ways to prepare stuff. Um, but yeah, hit hit us with the mayonnaise recipe. So I'll give a little background for everybody listening. Again, this was a, a few weeks ago. And uh, you know, let's let's say you take your deer to the processor, which I'd say a lot of people down here, you know, the average hunter, they're gonna shoot a deer, they're gonna get it, they're gonna take it to the processor. And they're probably going to get back essentially three things. They're going to get back a bunch of burger. They're going to get back straight uh, steaks out of their back straps. And then they're going to get a package of tenderloins. So that's kind of what I want to focus on with these. But uh, but anyway, so yeah, let's hit it with the mayonnaise recipe. Sounds good. Sounds good. So yeah, John, have an open mind here. Because
0: (laughs) the mayonnaise is essentially oil and egg emulsified like highly whipped up very vigorously so it's got like uh some texture to it and then yeah we we've all seen mayonnaise where you you can you spread on a sandwich or you put it on a burger or whatever wherever you use condiments and in those situations we see that condiment get spread thick where you see the white you see like yeah it's just thick on there but using mayonnaise as an agent to help create a sear on the outside of a steak is going to be where where I'm only applying a little little bit of this i use a silicone brush um you could probably uh if somebody's got a paint brush that they haven't used on paint yet <laughs> um but at the same time adapt that or even a barbecue brush those are coming becoming more more common but those silicone brushes you can find those a lot of places too and I'm literally just dipping the the tips into that, pulling up just a little bit of mayonnaise, and I'm brushing it on to uh, that piece of steak. And I'm doing it specifically with venison because um, if you use oil, so that's that's been what people have done in the past, and when you spread oil onto it, that oil is going to come up to heat very quickly. It's going to basically uh, not... Not sear the outside, but burn the outside. Now, if you've on your, on the outside of your steak, if you've salted it, well, I mean, you can't get rid of the saltiness because that's a, it's a mineral. You can't burn that one, but very heavily dependent upon a, an actual oil that you crack out of it is going to be your black pepper. You can scorch that and essentially undo black pepper. Uh, garlic, very finicky when it comes to ex, like, releasing its flavor. It can be so good when it's been roasted, but it can be super bitter and tannin-like when you scorch garlic. So you hit that with oil on your seasonings, you throw that on the grill, you're immediately going to super high temp and you're going to scorch that. And so even though you've put pepper on there, you're not going to taste it. Um, At that same point, If we go to using these medallions or using this butterfly, it's going to help accelerate that that temperature up very quickly. And that's going to then take your (laughs) take your little medallion and scorch it on the other side of it. And so, you know, you've gone to gray and we're back to the barbecue sauce and slathering that on top at the end. But what the mayonnaise does is it doesn't accelerate near as high. And so by brushing that on there and using that emulsified oil and uh, that yolk that's in from that egg there, that's actually going to brown. That's gonna go through that Maillard reaction that we wanna have happen. That's that crispiness that we get either on toast or a fried egg or that desired crust that we get on a steak. That's gonna mimic that on our piece of venison. So when I hit the Blackstone, when I hit the charcoal grill, when I hit something that's offering direct heat, it's going to go through that reaction first before it goes to the gray and before it goes too high. And that what that's going to do is just get me the crust that I'm looking for. So when I do serve it up, people see this amazing presentation. They're going to, their eyes automatically are like, "Mm, this is delicious. It's not those, uh, feelings from a long ago where it's gray, it's rubbery. Like now we have a crust, we've got a crispiness, And then when I cut into it, I have red showing that it's going to be like, man, this is like a legit steak. This doesn't, are you sure this is venison? Are you sure this is from a deer? Because every other deer I've seen is gray. No, no, this is how venison was supposed to be done. It's supposed to have a crispy outside, it's supposed to have a red inside. And that little bit
1: of brushed on mayonnaise is going to get you to that point all right i believe you i believe (laughs) when you when you go into all that detail it made a lot more sense and uh, it sounds a lot more appetizing so i'll believe you now yeah i i I, I gotta ask this though do you can you use that same trick or would you use that same trick on beef
0: because beef has fat um ingrained has marbling already in there you don't need to do that on beef Mm -hmm. when i do a ribeye Man, I don't I put the seasoning on there. I don't even oil it. I just have my either it's on the grill or it's on a dry or a uh, dry cast iron. You put that on there and all that beef tallow, all that beef integrated fat is going to render out and that's going to start doing your Maillard uh, reaction right there. It's built in. I mean, the the beef process as far as that way has gone just perfect when it comes to, to making those steaks. And, uh, yeah, when, when my wife and I do steak night, when we're like, all right, it's beef, we're splurging, we're going prime, we're going, mm-hmm. uh, we're getting the good stuff. We're going to go get a ribeye. Um, she doesn't even like filet mignon it's less. It's not enough flavor for her. Like we go straight mm-hmm. for the premier cut mm-hmm. and having that ingrained fat, even in a lot, even a you know, sirloin, which is pretty lean, even on beef that's still going to be able to have that marbling that's going to be worked its way uh, out of there. So yeah, beef doesn't need it. And that's the beautiful thing about it. But when we treat the venison, like we do the beef, that's where we run into our complications. So yeah, you get a cattle guy that's trying to cook some venison and having a tough time. It's because yeah, it's, <laughs> it's two different. Yeah. He's raising his <laughs> hand already, John. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> it's, it's two different animals, John. I know, I know We got to go... We... <laughs> we go back to uh biology here for you. <laughs> But it's just to see that play out and to know again, like, I got to treat this animal differently because it is differently. And those little tricks of, like, hey, if I need a sear on something that is super lean, adding that little bit of maize too as well. <laughs> Even on my back straps, the longer pieces, once I go with a low, slow heat on those, I it's referred to as a, a reverse sear at this scent. So I cook the inside to my desired temperature. I then brush on that mayo on the outside, add my seasonings on, and if my lodge cast iron is just like ripping, I drop that and roll that around and it just crispens up beautifully. Where if I did that without it, I would just basically yeah, char the snot out of it. And then at that point, it's not not any good for anybody. Maybe the dog. The dog would enjoy it. <laughs> gotcha.
1: Man, I I've, I've already learned so much. I wish I would have been taking notes of everything that I'd learned during this. So yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, I definitely owe you a hog hunt now. That's all I'm saying. Oh yeah. <laughs> Woo! All right, I got one more quick and for you. Uh, my favorite, yeah. my, I think everybody's favorite, the tenderloins. Like, I, like I love a good backstrap. Everybody does, but I think people who really know deer, especially people who like do stuff themselves, they really know the tenderloins where it's at. So, real quick here in these last couple of minutes, give us uh your favorite tenderloin recipe.
0: Oh man. Um, yeah, I'll just do a quick shout out. I, I can't uh have everybody do it, but if you if you get the cojones and you want to totally impress somebody on a date night, you just want to blow them away, or you just want to have that uh, upper echelon of presentation, try the Tatar. And yes, you're going to be consuming raw venison at that point. But at the same time, there's a a million videos that are out there on making it. If you follow it step by step, you're going to come up with something great. Um, But then again, that's like, that's something that's like way above level. Um, But for a, for a normal tenderloin, again, I, I go back to, like, this creature, it it's a piece of creation. It survives on its own. Like, it's almost, it's almost perfection. So I'm not going to want to alter this thing very much. I'm going to peel that out. And as soon as I peel that out, it, it, you don't even need to age that specific piece of meat for very long. Shoot, it's almost one of those things. Like as soon as you put it down, I would get it out just to maintain that you having to scrape off any dried uh flesh that would be on the outside of that or get that um, little bit of cap. Just just pull them out. Salt, pepper, garlic powder, or even uh minced up garlic. I would stick super easy. I would or in super uh what do I want to say? Uh unabrasive because I want to taste the venison uh it's going to be super mild anyway so it only needs those little bit of thing or a little bit of spices on there just to get my my palate rolling and kind of like with that it's even too small to go with a reverse sear it's got to be just a forward sear on this so you get get it on the grill maybe splash a little bit of the mayonnaise on there if you really want that char but it's literally seconds that I'm going to be putting that on there 45 seconds on one side 30 seconds on the other. Pull that off and just enjoy the tenderloin for what it is. Don't don't try to doctor up that piece of meat too much. Just enjoy it as a venison back or excuse me, venison tenderloin. Share it with someone you love, someone close. Uh, either it's a you know your dad or your uh, or your mom or even you know the spouse. You know, being able to sit and have a have a mess I find that. Pinot Noir, the the perfect for venison. And I tell you, just a little glass of wine, two back straps right there. That's the start of an amazing date night that could just go (laughs) everywhere that you wanted to. So, yeah, simple, straightforward, nothing super exciting. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, that's because I'm letting the animal do the talk. Yeah, yeah.
1: Man, I realize I should have had my brother on here instead of me because he is <laughs> extremely adventurous when it comes to food. Uh, he he was in the army. He lived in Germany and Italy, and he he did all the tartar and and uh, the sausage in Poland and all that stuff. So I, I'm definitely the boring one uh, when it comes to food. But. <laughs> Oh, man. Nick, this has been great. Uh, real quick, before I let you go, I want to make sure uh, if people are listening to this and they've never heard of you, I want to want them to be able to find you. So uh, social media, podcast, give us everything. Where do people find you?
0: Gotcha. I'm doing a lot of communication through Instagram right now. Um, I'm also on Go Wild, but my Instagram handle is at Huntivore. And on there, I'm trying to share Really, I'm just basically sharing everything that I'm doing. So if I'm doing something with venison or I'm doing something, um, with wild game specific, even if it's just something domestic that we can apply, I'm trying to throw it on a story. I'm trying to lay out what I'm doing. Um, I, I have really zero pride when it comes to, uh, throwing out even the stuff that doesn't work. I'll make sure to let you know that my dog ate well because I had a recipe not go the way that I <laughs> wanted it to. But I want us to all be able to use our stuff effectively, use our stuff to the, the utmost um, potential that we can. So that's where I share a lot of my stuff right there is through through Instagram. Feel free to DM me. Um, I love questions. I love answering. And I love when people just send me pictures of what they're making. If you try something super awesome and it turns out, shoot it to me. I'd love to see it. I'd love to ask you some questions on that. Um, but yeah, at Go Wild is just at Nick Otto. Um, I've got... As far as the trophies go, I have a lot more of the the food trophy pictures on there. I don't have a ton of like actual like big noteworthy trophies, but shoot, I'm not a I'm not a rat guy. I'm all about the meat. I guess that could be uh that could be said other ways as well. But anyway, that's where I'm where I'm at. Um, but then yeah, I'm also part of Sportsman's Empire. I uh, I guess I'm the food guy here, and so my my podcast is biweekly right now so every other week i i put out a nice long podcast um and i i do i just talk wild game currently it's been a lot on venison venison is king around us uh but at the same time busting and doing some more work with some waterfowl and trying to do some different things with with fish um <laughs> i know ice fishing is going to be coming up here soon after the holiday once we what's get that? enough ice yeah exactly <laughs> what's ice for you <laughs>
1: uh, Anyway, but so.
0: get a chance to just play with anything that we can chase. That's that's what the hunt of war is all about.
1: Awesome, awesome, man. Yeah, if for anybody listening, go check out my uh, Sportsman's Empire brother and the rest of the network. And uh, man, Nick, I appreciate this so much. Like I said, I, I learned a ton, and so I'm very, very excited to go try some of these things. So we still got about uh, what's today? Today's the uh, we got. Almost, actually, we have over a full month of season left. So, got a few more does to put in the freezer. Uh, I'm gonna take out all my frustration on the elk, on their cousin, the white-tailed deer, and so I'm about to go get after them.
0: Good deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, if it's brown, it's down. I mean, mm-hmm. shoot, I wear that badge all the time. Like, I know we talk about. Um, we got some guys here on our nation who, or excuse me, on our empire that are just. Absolute big buck killers. They know the strategy. They know how to put things uh just in the right, just get all their pieces and ducks in a row, and to have these massive animals come walking by them. Shoot, even just the way that you handle your property, John. I just I'm so impressed with the strategy that that you use to that. And I try to glean as much of that information as I can, but there's a point of opportunity where I look at that thing and I'm like, oh, I don't care if it doesn't, if it only got three points. That's gonna taste good, and it's here now, and I'm gonna make it happen. So yeah, I'm I'm getting better with my patience. I can let things walk, but when I start hearing that tick, that that uh, tick of the clock as season starts to wind down, mm-hmm. okay, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start
1: or lowering my expectations here a little. Bit. <laughs> awesome, awesome man. Well, Nick, I've taken up enough of your time. Like I said, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on, and we'll talk to you later. Another huge shout out to Nick. Thank you, Nick, for coming on. And and man, that like I said during the podcast, that was so educational. I learned so much through that conversation. So big shout out to Nick. Um, I got my baby girl sitting on my lap right now. Her mom is uh, off at a work event. And uh, so, yeah, she's ready to go to bed. I'm ready to go to bed. Uh, but again, guys, I know I say it every week, but thank you so much for following this show and supporting us. We got so much more content coming up. Uh, I'm going to get a voice back, I think. And uh, I already got an awesome guest, I think, lined up for next week. So come back. We're only going to go up from here. (laughs) So thank you guys for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Thank you to all the partners. And until next week, I will see you right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast.